One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Uh, thank you to John Paul who uh, stepped into the breach yesterday uh, for me. I had a bit of an extended long weekend because I was away at family events. We had three events I had to go. There was an anniversary mass. There was a First Holy Communion and there was a christening. So there was a lot of religious events and getting, you know, hooking up with families and just really nice. It was it was really, really nice. But I think of all of the events that I went to, the First Holy Communion Mass, there is something so special about the innocence, I think, of children on their First Holy Communion. And it was boys. There was no little girls. <laughs> That was the other thing I was I was hoping to, hoping there would be girls in the church as well. There wasn't. It was all the little boys and they were in their uniforms and they looked gorgeous and all of their hairs were done and they were they had that anticipation of the day ahead and you know and, and they all feeling so religious in that moment and just the as I say the innocence of it all is really, really sweet. And it was a lovely little mass and the priest and the teacher had done a great job, 33 little boys and obviously their parents involved in helping prepare them for their big uh, day. But I thought it was just heartbreaking to hear the priest. He was delivering his homily and he walked down the church. So he walked past the three rows where the little boys were sitting and said to them, I just want to go talk to the mammies and daddies for a couple of minutes and came down and sort of, you know, was thanking all the parents for preparing their children for First Holy Communion, but then said this is their First Holy Communion. Please don't let it be their last until they're back in this church for their confirmation in four years time. And he made a really big play about, you know, these, they're not the future, they are the church and that they've, you know, come this far, encourage them, bring them to Mass on Sunday. And then he made a play for the following day to say, First Holy Communion today, let tomorrow, Sunday, be their second Holy Communion. And he asked, you know, that the parents would please make an effort to bring the children along to Mass. And there was the 11 o'clock Mass in the church was the one that they had been using for preparing for the Holy Communion. So he was going to be saying the Mass in the hope that many of the little boys would turn up. And he said to them that normally when the little girls make it, they come the following day in their communion dresses so they stand out. So he asked the boys to wear their little white rosettes he wasn't expecting them to wear their uniforms, but to wear their little white rosettes so that they would stand out in the church and that other people in the church would know, oh, they made their first Holy Communion yesterday. And it turned out five of them turned up the following day. And I'm sure that must have been disappointing for the priest because he'd really, really made a big plea to say, come on tomorrow, make an effort, you know, bring them. And then he called them up, the five of them who did turn up the next day and they were up on the altar rails and he gave them little jobs to do during the Mass and made them feel all very important. And it just kind of struck me that, you know, what he had said 
the day before about don't let this be their first Holy Communion and their second will be the day they make they make their confirmation. And it struck me that that's going to happen. I'm not saying with all of them, but it will certainly happen with some of them, which is a real, real shame. Because remember only last week I was, I read out a piece. There was a study that had been done. It was the Archdiocese of Dublin. And there was a, a survey had done. They had gone into the schools, so they'd spoken to the parents and the teachers. And then they'd spoken like with the parish councils and with the priests. And they looked at preparing for communion and confirmation and they looked at would it be better if you removed it from the school and that it became an event where you prepared for the sacraments outside of school the theory being that it's only parents who really are practising themselves and who really want their children to be practising Catholics who will attend the events and of course the add-on was going to be you'd have to pay for them because they'd have to pay to have teachers or experts in religion come in and and teach it to the children and obviously by doing it that way the parents will be much more hands-on and much more involved in getting the children ready for the sacrament of communion and confirmation and when they did this quite an extensive survey in the Diocese of Dublin a lot of people came out and said yes that is the way to go and part of that study was interviewing the teachers and one of the teachers said, sixth class teacher said that as he was starting to prepare his class for confirmation, he realised that some of the children hadn't been to communion since their first Holy Communion and had actually forgotten the whole thing, didn't know what to do in Mass, didn't know what part they go up to for communion, didn't know what to do, they'd forgotten uh, what they were meant to do to, in order to receive Holy Communion. So he said he had to reteach them that before he ever got to preparing them for the confirmation. So... I don't know what the answer is. A lot of people, a lot of parents seem to like the idea of identifying as Catholics, but then are not practising Catholics. They like the idea of having their child baptised, communion and confirmation, but they don't want to be practising. Now, how fair that is to the church, because when you think of, you know, how does the church keep going? If if you're not going to mass, you're not, you know, giving the money, putting the Jews in every week in order to keep the church going. Is it unfair then that you just turn up at these events and use the facility of the church in order to have what the Diocese of Dublin saw as a social day out. Because obviously the First Holy Communion was a lovely social day out as well. There was the religious aspect of it. Then there was a lovely, for for certainly for my family, there was a lovely get together of family members and some people hadn't seen, you know, since, you know, for maybe for a couple of months. Uh, and it was just, you know, it's a nice family get together and it was very much about the children. And But it was lovely. It was a, it was a nice day out, but it should be more than just the social side of it. And that's certainly what a lot of the bishops are fearful of that it's just becoming the big day out. I don't know what the answer to it is. I, I really don't. Uh, your thoughts welcomed 1850 I do know because 90% of our our schools, our primary schools are under the ethos of the Catholic Church because of that you would hear people say well I'm getting my child baptised because I want my child to attend the local school the local school is Catholic now I don't know if any I, I don't know if ever there's been a case where a child hasn't been accepted into a Catholic school because they don't have a baptismal cert I know that's the case in other countries where the places are limited so you've got to be a Catholic in order to get into the schools don't think it happens here but you will hear some parents say I don't want my child I mightn't be a practising Catholic but because the sacraments are very much part of school life for second class for the communion and sixth class for the confirmation you don't want your child to be standing out just because you're not a practising Catholic you want them to take part in the actual ceremony even though you know in your heart and soul 
you're not going to do anything else uh, with it. Uh, is that a reason to, in, in order to put your child into a Catholic school, is that a reason to go ahead and have the whole communion and confirmation just because you don't want your child to stand out from all the other uh, children? 1850-333-103. Your thoughts welcomed or you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Teresa from Mallow. Huge thank you to you, Teresa. Letter uh, here for me when I arrived with a very kind donation for that little family, that uh, that little young woman and her three children in Belarus that we found when we were there. Uh, when we went to checking up to see how she was getting on and uh, she's in a pretty bad way from a poverty point of view and, and we're endeavouring to help her out. So thank you. People have been really, really kind and identifying that they want the money to go to her and it will. I promise you it'll go directly to her. So thank you for that. Don't forget today is a day number two of our competition in association with the Mallow Home and Garden Show, which is Munster's biggest outdoor festival. It's on at the Cork Race Course in Mallow. It's coming up this coming weekend and fingers crossed if we get weather like we get today and the sun is shining, it is a glorious event to attend when the sun is shining. And in conjunction with the Mallow Home and Gardens Show and Co-op Superstores in Mallow, we have a terrific prize to give away on the programme. It's a Hampton three-seater corner lounging set. It comes with a three-seater sofa, an ottoman and a coffee table. It's all water resistant, which obviously needs to be in this country. So it's for use in your garden all year round. We are going to get you to guess who is on the sofa. We will play an audio clip of a guest that we had on the programme and you have to try and work out who the guest is. If you qualify today, your name goes forward, goes into the hat and on Friday we will make a draw and somebody will win the Hampton three-seater corner lounging set. I will play you the clip of a guest, a well famous guest who was on the programme. Uh, but don't call or don't text yet. This is just to get you to hear it for the first time. Who's this? The very first Mrs Brown's Boys play actually uh, went out in Cork in the Everyman in 1999. That's a well-known voice. Okay, hold that thought and we'll let you know how you can enter our competition. As I say, we will be doing that a little bit later on. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, why people who witness abuse of vulnerable people do not do anything about it. We're talking about people with special needs, but we're also talking about elderly people who find themselves very vulnerable and because of that, there's abuse going on normally and can be by a family member. It can be emotional, psychological, it can be financial, it can also be physical and I'm straight away thinking of our, our elderly lady, the 75-year-old who contacted us last week and we are checking up on her. She's in respite at the moment who certainly is suffering abuse. We spoke with her last week at the hands of her son. She's 75. Son is in his 40s. The abuse certainly was getting worse when he had drink taken and it was just one of those awful awful situations and we got a huge reaction to that interview from last week and when I was getting the prep together for this particular interview I thought about that lady straight away because the, one of the things was she has some daughters but they're afraid of the son uh, and there's a typical example of people who've witnessed it knows that this vulnerable lady is being abused but 
I suppose you don't know where to go. You don't know how to intervene. You don't know how to help. What do you need to do? How do you need to do it? We'll talk with Safeguarding Ireland in a couple of minutes on the programme. Then we're going to take a look at the Carrigaline electoral area. Now, this is one of the electoral areas that is most changed since the boundary changes. And this, of course, is going to be the first set of local elections since the boundary changes uh, came in. And Carrigaline, certainly an area that I think could cause confusion for some of the voters when they go into their polling station. So we'll we'll preview the runners and riders for the Carrigaline electoral area on the programme today. Then after 11, the uh, Mallow author, Stephanie Preisner will be joining me live in studio. She has got a fantastic new book out called Can I Say No? Uh, it's, it's, it's fabulous. It's as good as her last book, but it's one of these books. It's kind of, it's thought provoking. While it's very, very funny in parts, it really is one of those thought provoking books because it's a book where all of us at some stage have been in that situation where you know you should be saying no but you don't. What is it about us? Why are we people pleasers? Why are we afraid that somebody isn't going to like us if we say no to a request? Something that we really don't want to do. So we'll talk about that on the programme today. And also we will be previewing a play that opens in the Everyman Theatre tonight and runs right across this week. The play is called Trad and we'll speak with the director. It's described as a moving comedy. And then in the final of the programme, Joe Heffernan uh, will join us. So a lot to get through between now and one. Some of your comments in on the First Holy Communion and why do children go and that's it. They won't see the inside of the church until their confirmation. I agree with Patricia. Uh, the children are all lovely and there's a wonderful in- innocence about the First Holy Communion Day Mass. Uh, but isn't it very sad that they weren't taken to Mass the following day? The priest must have been very annoyed. I don't know if he was annoyed. I just felt sorry for him because he really put a big pitch in. He was nearly begging the parents to say, please get up tomorrow morning, bring the children to Mass. So I don't know about annoyed. It was more, I'm sure he went away with a heavy heart. I'm very disappointed that only five of the 33 uh, turned up. Uh, If you take away, says this caller, if you take away the preparation from the schools, very few children will end up making their first Holy Communion and surely that will be very sad for the uh, children. And Pat says, Patricia, I was at Mass last Sunday. There was a collection outside the church and then there was two collections inside the church. It actually is a put off. Tis like begging, says Pat. Do others think there's too many collections at the Mass on Sunday? One collection outside, which wouldn't have been anything to do with the church, but would have had a church gate collection, obviously, wouldn't it? They had the permission of the church. So you got the church gate collection. And then I don't know why there was two inside. There would be the and there would be the weekly Mass, you know, t- going towards the cost of keeping the church uh, open. And I don't know what the second one was for. Is that too much? Three, you'd have to bring money, make sure you have enough money with you to cover three collections. Are do people kind of feel, no, I'm going to Mass to pray. You don't have to put money into any of the collections. They're all voluntary. But are you brave enough to walk past, particularly on a church gate collection, if it's somebody you know, one of your neighbours standing out there, is it difficult to walk past somebody that you know and then the collections inside in the church, do you feel obliged that you have to donate to those as well? Your thoughts on that? Are there too many collections and is that putting people off? 1850 333 103. And Winterbara, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, the men's choir, um, they are going to be supported by Scrubs. Now Scrubs is the Cork University 
Hospital Workplace Choir and it's in Scrubs a terrific name for that Hospital Workplace uh, Choir along with Michelle Andrews and Claire Hughes are going to be in St Brendan's Church the Square in Bantry next Friday night at half past seven tickets are available at O'Sullivan's Chemist and at the local link office and tickets for this wonderful night and there's nothing better than the voice of a choir there's something magical about listening to the music coming from a choir uh, it's, tickets are a tenor with all the proceeds going to Cancer Connect which is the transport uh, service to Cork Hospital so it's in a really really good cause as well and that's in Brendan's Church Square in Bantry this Friday night Laura Gelga RC 103 <laughs> Drastal share Kalosh de Munkin, Limna, Augustagram or Pella, La Topper Faldry. Bodice of Ishe Savansko, Demershe Pell, Augustagramer Rugby. Clea Lancher, Egimert, Norvishe and Oldskull Limni. Rinache Trilica, Defern Navuin, Augustagramer Ot All, Ern Vern. Demershe K. Clea de Vuin, Ern Octula de Debron, Gavila Sede, Iguinacuga Connacht, Mar Aharu Fala. Is Minica Imrian Shainish, or Lakula Cliberta, August Noig Shay, a Kedu Captavoon, and Blue Chicago. Dimmer Shayer's son, Rugby Naharan, O Gavila Sahinja Gorai, August Rowney Ake, Kundal, a trust in a loan, between Austral, August Gadinu Halen. Winshaymach Tridug Ud Dig, Iguina, Verna Idernashunta Gadisha, August is keen to come make Tilla a Machansha. A Blora Gwelga is Misha Podge de Bertoon of Wales Gultmost of Ish Fala. CK'd as a three Kirkig. Hello, this is Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart plays Parky Queeve this Saturday and C103 is at the centre of it all. Join Simon Murdoch and the C103 crew at Tequila Jack's Laps Key Cork for a big gig warm-up from four. To get the party started before you head to Rod and check out Radio Rod from C103, playing Rod Stewart's greatest hits online and on our phone app. Grab your handbags and plaid rags and be at Tequila Jack's Slaps Key for the Rod Stewart Big Gig Warm Up exclusively on Cork's greatest hits, C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 Now 10% of Irish adults have seen a vulnerable adult abused and that was in the last year. That's the finding of a new Red Sea research commissioned by Safeguarding Ireland which is calling for a 24-hour helpline to be set up. Mervyn Taylor is spokesperson for Safeguarding Ireland and Mervyn joins me. Good morning to you Mervyn. Good morning, uh, Patricia. And, uh, I'm actually just one of uh, one of the many organisations uh, that's part of uh, Safeguarding Ireland, so not, not their official spokesperson. Oh, my apologies. And who are you not with? At all. Oh. I'm I'm with Sage Advocacy, but Sage, with, of course. Uh, okay. Along with Angarda, Shikana, banks, uh, the various government departments, and many other NGOs, we're all members of Safeguarding Ireland. Thirty organisations in all. Okay, describe the type of abuse we're talking about here. It's everything from um, abuse to, you know, can be very subtle. It can be literally, we, we often say it starts with uh, with who wins control of the remote. You all, you know that, you've got children, yeah. you'll know that. Yeah. But in, in older age, it can be, well, we'll watch what, because actually they're older uh, and we'll take control of the remote. Then it can be actually, well, actually I'm doing a little bit of shopping. I'll take the fiver for the expenses, as you've probably heard in some of the Safeguarding Ireland uh, ads, yeah. ads on the on the radio. And then it can move up to think, well, I need to borrow something and actually, sure, they're not doing anything with it. And then it could be at 500. And then it can actually move up. 
So what starts with something very small, it can start with an attitude, uh, a disregarding approach, and it can actually end up in very, very serious criminal activity. Yeah, we had a, a 75-year-old woman who contacted the programme last week and it was quite heartbreaking to hear living with um, an adult son, a, a guy, a man in his, in his 40s. Um, and she'd got barring orders, but then always left him back into, into the house. But And she was saying at the time that her daughter, because we were trying to get help for him, she was saying that her daughters were aware of it, but they were afraid of him. So they weren't able to stand up to him. And that's that's yeah. what happens, isn't it? It's It's... it's it's when we don't stand up to people who are doing this abuse. Well, that's right. And, and, and in fairness, it can be difficult because, I mean, like one in 10 uh, claiming to witness uh, abuse of an adult is a huge number. I mean, that's probably, if you take the adult population, that probably amounts to about 380,000 people. The question is that people are very unsure of what have they seen. Like, uh, if I, a lot of them actually did try and talk to the person involved and the person might actually be too afraid and, and say, look, I don't want you to make, you know, to do anything about it, or sure, look, they were just in a bad humour, or I know I've come to terms with the fact that they're, you know, if I want to be cared for or I want something done for me by a neighbour, they're going to get a few bob out of it. And it can be very, there can be very subtle situations, but some of them are, are, are just downright criminal. And the fact of the matter is, in these situations, there are, HSE safeguarding protection teams around. Uh, their numbers of the regional ones can be found on the safeguardingireland.org website, but there's a central number, uh, 061-461-358, which could be called and you can get directed to one of those teams. But the, the issues that people can can, can see are, are, are be talked quietly to can be everything from just disregard to very sarcastic remarks mm. right across to kind of effectively coercive control. Now, we're used to that term in terms of the new legislation. Absolutely. Now, like intimate, intimate you know, relationships. But coercive control can actually be very much uh, the issue in relation to abuse uh, of, of vulnerable adults. It can mean effectively taking, quietly taking control of their money it can mean, which includes perhaps their PIN, etc., uh, etc. Et it can also mean taking control over where they live, who they live with. And in some cases, and in our own organisation, we've seen this, uh, taking control of the ear tags and cattle, of land. And we've seen in numbers of cases, uh, Sage Advocacy has actually been involved in a number of cases in the last few years, where we've had to actually get locksmiths. Uh, on behalf of clients to change the locks of premises belonging to people where their family members have actually effectively pushed them out and taken over their premises and are actually availing of considerable uh, amounts because the rents on nowadays, as you know, are very high, Patricia. So if you're taking uh, over a property uh, in a big urban area, you're probably taking the equivalent of a couple of thousand a month which is a considerable amount of money over a couple of years. And while a lot of those are at the, at the extreme end, when, when you're talking about a lot of this uh, abuse, the, the person doing the abuse, it's you know, normally a family me- member, it could be a son or a daughter or, or it could be a sibling. Yeah. At times, are they not even aware that what they're doing is abuse? I think there are times when, I mean, when people's tempers are... Their, their patience is stretched 
and they can lash out verbally. Um, and to say it's to a certain extent understandable doesn't in any way minimise that it's a difficult situation for for the person who's abused. But there is we we do have to kind of draw lines in various places, and you have to say that you know um, stresses and strains aside, the fact of the matter is that if repeated, you really are into a pattern of abuse. Yeah. Now, you know, everybody can make a distinction between, you know, the sharp remark made in work or at home, you know, when everybody's a bit frazzled. But there is a world of difference between that and people, you know, apologising, hopefully, uh, and the, the sort of situation where effectively the other person is cowed. And because they're not in a position very often to run, uh, their house is actually effectively under somebody else's control. Yeah. Uh, their medication may be actually under the other person's control. So they may actually be, in some cases, feeling somewhat drowsy because they're being actually effectively uh, convenience medication is happening. Um, all of these things can happen very subtly. So it's not... Um, it's, I don't think we should ever minimise that is, we always have to be watchful. So what's the, what's the answer? I mean, you, I know at Safeguarding Ireland you're saying tougher laws would encourage the public to call out abuse of vulnerable adults. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, by tougher laws, we're not, to, you know, people tend to sort of think about long prison sentences and hanging and flogging and all of that <laughs> sort of stuff. Um, the fact of the matter is, there is very little by way of legislation in the area of safeguarding adults. And really, we need comprehensive legislation, not just in the health and social care, but really that covers across government, because you're dealing with financial issues, you're dealing with issues of, of, of ownership of uh, home, land, etc., cars, all of those things, and you're uh, dealing with issues of where a person might be cared for. So, legislation would be which is comprehensive and which enables action to be taken, and which allows, gives powers for proper intervention by safeguarding and protection teams. That is really important, because at the moment, the actual powers of HSE safeguarding protection teams are very limited. Um, So safeguarding is one thing, but the other thing that would really help is if people actually, the good thing about this survey is it shows that if it's depressing at one level, it also shows people are actually going and talking to the person involved. And that may, we don't know, but we may have helped to some extent. Um, but people really do need to have access to some sort of 24-hour uh, call service that would you know, be in a position to give them some steer. There is a sense we get that people would do more if they didn't, if they felt they were more likely to be supported. And I think that's uh, the real issue here. If legislation is one thing, but having ready access to support is is another. And I think the other encouraging thing, Patricia, is from a previous survey, we saw that younger people are more likely to want to call out behaviour. That's good. And that, that is really interesting. Now, as you're in Cork, you will be interested to know that the, those residing in Dublin and uh, you know, Connacht Ulster were in line with the national average in terms of uh, saying that they witnessed abuse, while those living in the rest of Leinster were almost twice as likely as those in Munster to claim to have witnessed abuse. So you get these strange uh, sort of regional kind of trends, and I don't ask me to, well, to, to explain why, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they are, they are there. 
but the, the fact of the matter is, if people have, if there, if there is better legislation, comprehensive legislation, and that it gives more powers to safeguarding and protection teams, and that there's a support uh, telephone service for people. But the third element, Patricia, is really important, that is better resourcing of safeguarding and protection teams. They really are only touching the tip of the iceberg. Okay. I mean, if, if, if a tenth of people say that they have, of adults uh, claim that they have seen uh, some active abuse, that's 380,000 people. We're talking about just 10,000 in the region of 10,000 registering with the HSE at the moment. Goodness me, goodness me. Okay, listen, we leave it there, Mervyn. Thank you for that. Thank and thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Mervyn Taylor of Sage Advocacy uh, joining us uh, about that piece of research coming out from Safeguarding uh, Ireland. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 As we get into the final week of canvassing for the local elections, we continue on the programme to preview the local electoral areas across the county. This morning, it's the turn of the Carrigaline area. And joining me to discuss the candidates standing standing is uh, Echo Political uh, Journalist, and that is uh, uh, David... Lenahan. Um, uh, good morning to you, David. It's, Len- it's Lenan, my apologies, Lena- David. Lenan. Lenan. Thank you, uh, Dave. You're welcome to the programme. Is it fair to say the Carrigal Line local electoral area is the one which has most been impacted by the boundary changes? It has, and not for the worst, really. Uh, the, the makeup of the, of, of the, the local electoral area now is kind of exactly what people wanted a couple of years ago. Um, at least with it, with the, the the new boundary changes, so it's losing Ballin College and the the Grange Douglas area, but it's reuniting Carrigaline Town itself, which was split under the old uh, under the old wards and bringing in part of the old Bandon Kinsale uh, district as well. So it's a very very uh, well thought out mm. uh, lo- local lecture area that centres all around Ballin College and takes in the, the passage west, the kind of the natural hinterland uh, around there. Um, where it had been a bit, a bit of a toss-up of everything around the city beforehand. But there will be a bit of confusion for voters, won't they, when they go to the polling stations? There will, and, and you can see that in, in the list of candidates. Uh, Tim Lombard was elected in 2014 in the Bandicoon Sale uh, district. He got elected to Shannon and his brother Aidan took the seat, uh, but he's now running in Carrigal Car- Line, not... Uh, not, not Bannock Sale. So there will be there is people who have been shifted around between different places here that wouldn't have been voting here the last time. And it has gone from ten seats to six seats. It has, but that's that's more of a gain than than a loss. The, uh, the there's there's a number of seats moving into the the, the city council. With there are a number of sitting councillors sorry moving into the city council from the Bannock Carrigaline Bannock district. Uh, if you look back to the older versions of this local electorate, which used to centre around Carrigaline, they would have always had six seats, but included Douglas and Grange and, mm. and a few other areas. Now you have six just for the for the area past west. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you can really see the gain in that there's mm. four sitting councillors and, yeah. and one, um, Johnny Collins, isn't uh, running. Um, mm-hmm. So you can see there is a gain there. Yeah, I think it, it, there's, there's four sitting councillors, so there's, there's two open seats there really for, for, for people to take. Okay, talk us through um, the the runners and riders. Let's start with Fine Gael first. They're running three candidates. Yeah, so the the only sitting councillor there 
is uh, Aidan Lombard. And again, none of these councillors are actually tested at elections up until now, so it's Aidan's first uh, election. He took over from his brother, uh, Tim, as I said, in, in 2016. Uh, he'll be running with Michael Paul Murta and Liam Connor. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not actually sure about Michael Paul Murta's uh, campaign, but Liam O'Connor is from... The, the the card line end of the of the of, of the, the the ward would Finnegan be trying expecting to get two at least two certainly seats? yeah yeah mm. I think I, I think they, I think that 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 would that would be the the best case scenario there for for both of the the, the bigger parties is two Finnegan uh, two Fianna Fáil. Now, Fianna Fáil have also, they're running with three uh, candidates, of which one is is sitting councillor Seamus McGrath. Yeah, and I mean it's a safe bet, uh, and I'm sure he'll he'll hate us saying this, but it's a safe bet uh, that that he'll top the poll there. Um, he did in the last in the last two elections, and and the McGrath's a very good vote uh, at that area. So, um, what they'll be looking for there is taking a a, a a running mate uh, now that the the people who he would have sat with in Ballincollig and Douglas are are, are gone. Um, so the two candidates they have there are sorry, now let me pull this up. There is. Um, Audrey Buckley um, Audrey is, Buckley yeah. yeah and uh, then we have Michael Corcoran a former guard in, in Passage End um, so again it's kind of a toss of how that one is going to go who will be joining him but you'd imagine that Fianna Fáil will have the vote for, for two seats there it may favour Michael Corcoran that he's based at the Passage West End so he may have a, a bit of a first reference vote for himself um, I, and I know when you mentioned Seamus McGrath, he, you know, he had a massive, massive vote the last time. He does lose a lot of his electoral base, though. He does. No, he, he does. Um, absolutely. I mean, they would they would have done up, they would have done well across the whole Ballincollig Carrick Line district there. But still, it's hard to count out someone who was he was the the councillor with the highest vote in the country in the last election. Yeah, so I don't think yeah. he has a lot of votes to lose before he's 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 really going to take a big hit. Okay, we also then have for Sinn Féin, uh, Councillor Michael Frick Murphy, again, well known in the area. Yeah, yeah, and uh, his election was, was very, very tight uh, the last time. I remember that, that count went on for about 24 hours straight and uh, and he was elected uh, in, in one of the final counts, uh, possibly the final count. Um, so he was kind of a... They were focused on getting Donna Collier into the, the council at that time, and uh, but it was a big bonus that they got uh, Michael Frick Murphy in too. Uh, he's probably a lot more secure now in that he's the, the only Sinn Féin candidate there. They've proved there's a good Sinn Féin vote there, so it's uh, it's easy to see him keeping that seat. And then the other councillor sitting is um, uh, Marcia Dalton. Marcia Dalton. Again, good independent, good track record. Very good track record, very, very impressive. Very, very... Uh, you know, she's one of the heavyweight independents in, in in the council. There's someone if, you, if you're covering council meetings, she's the one who's um, you know taking the lead on a lot of issues there. Um, whether she's safe or not is another story. But her her vote would have been at the passage west end, and she hasn't lost too much with the changes. So her base should be solid in a passage west Monkton area. Okay, and the one thing I've noticed across all of our, our previews is the number of young candidates, which bodes well uh, for the future. And Carrigaline is is the same. I mean, the the Green Party, uh, Katrina Reid, is is just she's eighteen. Yeah, and I think she's going straight into her leaving search once the <laughs> once this is over. Um, she's as far as I know, she's the youngest candidate there. Um, so she's. So yeah, she's about eighteen, and then there's a Ben Dalton O'Sullivan who's about eighteen, nineteen as well, who's a student. He's a he's a UCC. politics student, isn't he? So yeah, 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 studying politics in UCC, so he's getting some real 
uh, real training out there now for uh, that he can take back to the classroom. Okay, and then Ian too has um, John Welton. He John ran Welton. before, didn't he, in a general election? Um, I'm actually not sure of that. Yeah, I'm um, sure I saw his name crop up somewhere that he ran. I think it was back in 1992. Yeah. Now, it wouldn't have been for Ain't because right, that's okay. that because that's a new party. Yeah, uh, again, Ain't is, is an interesting experiment um, that could succeed, could fail. What they have going for them is that they're they're very very firmly pro life. Um, there was a 35 percent vote for, a, a, against the the the, the repeal the eighth referendum last year. So there is a bit of a vote that they might carve out there, but or it may go down um, uh, badly. But it's it's kind of a toss up, really, how they're going to do. Okay, and so your predictions then call it for us, uh, David. I think, I think the safe money says two Fianna Gael, two Fianna Fáil, one independent and one Sinn Féin. Okay, and what are the main issues coming up here in the, in this area? Uh, this is a big commuter town into the city and to the out to, 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 to too, so um, any time you hear about it's car line, it's traffic, traffic, traffic uh, is a huge issue. Housing is, is an issue there too, but um, it, it's one of the few areas where there is actually a bit of housing growth at the moment, so um, so that, but that that would appear on the, the cards too. There's also a very very strong environmentalist group down there too. A lot of people that are they're into those issues, especially with the the, the incinerator nearby. So that's something that's going to pop up, and it's something where the, the council may actually have some influence in the in the next few years. Um, so those would be three of the bigger issues down there. Okay, listen, uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program, David. Uh, good morning, to you. Uh, uh, David Linehan, who is the political correspondent uh, with the Echo, casting his eye over the Carrigaline electoral area tomorrow. It's the McCroom area uh, that we will be uh, taking a look at for the local elections. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We have a wonderful competition on the programme this week in association with the Mallow Home and Garden Show and Co-op Superstores in Mallow. They've very kindly given us a wonderful prize of a Hampton three-seater corner lounging set which comes with a three-seater sofa. There's an ottoman and there's a coffee table. It's weather resistant so you can leave it around. suitable for all kinds of uh, weathers. Lovely, lovely uh, piece of uh, outdoor garden furniture. You've got to guess the, you've got to guess the guest on the sofa this week. Now, don't call us yet. I'm just giving you a tease in that I'm playing the audio piece. This was a guest who appeared on our programme. You've got to work out who this guest is. And in the next hour, we will tell you how you can enter today. The very first Mrs Brown's Boys play actually uh, went out in Cork in The Everyman in 1999. Now, you need to know her name. Hold the thought. We'll let you know in the next hour how you can enter. We will have a qualifier today. Qualifier goes forward to the draw. We'll have five names in the hat on Friday and then one will win that Hampton three-seater corner lounging set. Thanks to the gang at the Mallow Home and Gardens show and the Corp Superstores in Mallow and of course the Garden Show happening this weekend. Some of your thoughts coming in. Okay, we were talking about abuse of vulnerable people in the last hour when we were talking with the Safeguarding Ireland Research and Sage Advocacy was on. That's prompted Nori, not her real name, we've changed her name to contact us about something that's going on in her house. Now, she rang up saying, you know, is this, is it, I don't, I, I don't think you can class this as elder abuse. This is to do, more to do, I think, with family dynamics and rows that happen in families. Is it abuse? Do probably both parties feel they're being abused by the others? But basically what's going on in Orion's house 
It's her husband and her daughter. The husband and the daughter are farming together. There's a lot of agro is the word she used between both of them. Now she said 90% of the time everything's fine. They get on fine and dandy but it's when it all kicks off it can get very, very aggressive. She said there can be a lot of shouting can go on. They even can get a bit physical with each other in pushing. That's sort of pushing each other out of the way and but it gets very, very aggressive and you can imagine bad language and putting people down and it just gets really, really out of hand. Now, Noreen says her husband, the father in this case, did have a problem with alcohol. He was an alcoholic, but she said he's been sober for the last three years, which certainly is some good news. But that hasn't stopped this negative attitude that the father and daughter have towards each other, towards each other, and it can get very hurtful at times. And she gave an example of about ten days ago, there was a big row between the two of them. I don't know about what. Father kicked off, said to the daughter, "You're no connection to me. You're not my flesh and blood." Even though Noreen said he is she is his daughter but was basically disowning her in the row that they had that happened about 10 days ago they haven't spoken since and Noreen contacted us because she's stuck in the middle of it she's stuck between the man she married her husband and her daughter and uh, she finds it really really difficult at the moment the daughter will only come come into the house or into the farm when the father isn't around father's retired so the daughter is running the farm even though he still helps out but the farm hasn't been signed over I don't know if that's also an issue there could be another issue going on but I don't know how much of that you can say is abuse is the father abusing the daughter is the daughter abusing the father it, to me, it's family dynamics. And unfortunately, Noreen, you're not the only family where that has happened or where it is happening or it will happen in the future. But if anyone can offer advice, because Noreen very much doesn't want to side. Who do you side with? Do you side with your husband? Do you side with your daughter? She's really quite upset to be stuck in the middle of all of this aggression. She just wants a bit of peace and quiet and everybody to be getting on with everyone. But unfortunately, in the real world, everybody doesn't get on with everyone. So I, I, like I have huge sympathy for you, Noreen. Thank you for your call. 1850 And Elizabeth is looking for advice. She's in a bit of a pickle with her neighbour. And this is over a boundary. There had been a, bound, a ditch which was the boundary between her property and her neighbour's property. The neighbour decided to take dig out the, the, get rid of the ditch and instead decided to build a wall. Now he built a wall, but Elizabeth had said it's only half finished is how she's describing it. And there's a big gap between her boundary and what is the neighbour's boundary. She also talks about it's in the area where the percolation of her property is. But Elizabeth's problem at the moment is she's trying to sell the property and she said nobody's going to buy to buy it with the way the boundary is and she's wondering if anyone can offer advice to her. Now my initial thing is is talk to the neighbour. Have you spoken to the neighbour? Have you tried to explain to the neighbour you're trying to sell the property and that you're going to have problems if the boundary is left the way it is? I know John Paul has passed on that mediation service that we had on the programme a few weeks ago to see if they can be of any help. I mean to me it's lines of communication here Elizabeth. You need to talk to the neighbour. Hopefully you get on with the neighbour and there isn't a problem with the neighbour. Maybe you don't know him that well. Maybe that's the issue. But you really need to talk to him to see if he can sort out what he needs to do in order to make the boundary proper 
proper and correct uh, so that you can sell it. And Pauline in Skull was on from the Fastnet Film Festival to say, uh, could you put a favour out for her, please? Is there anybody listening travelling from Cork to Skull today? She needs something collected in Ducloyne, which is near Toker. So if anybody is heading to Skull and you're in Cork at the moment and you could swing by Ducloyne or you're passing Ducloyne on the way and pick up something, it's for the Fastnet Film Festival. Pauline would love to hear from you at 028-286-00. Some of your texts coming in to us on the First Holy Communion Mass and children going to the one Mass and they're not seen in the church again until it's time for the confirmation. Listener says, Patricia, there are very few practising Catholics. People have made up their own commandments. The only one being do what I like. Catholics have voted in several things that we have been told are contrary to God's law. Why the surprise now about people not going to Mass? It's more about tradition and a fashion to go to church rather than a belief at this stage. It's not about commitment to God anymore. He's not really believed in Norrie's rules heed it. People change them to suit their own circumstances. I'm not judging, by the way. I'm just telling it as it uh, is. And on the collections at Mass, someone was on, or this was to Pat who said it's a complete, it's like begging. Went to Mass on Sunday, there was a church gate collection and then went in and there was two collections inside in the church because there's too many collections and that could and and is putting people off going to Mass. Uh, Mary says, good morning Patricia. I don't know what church Pat was talking about because he he didn't name the church either but the church that I go to, there uh, there are always two collections inside in the church. One is for the church, that's the weekly one but there's also one for a new parish hall that's been built. I don't agree with the collection in the church for the hall, says Mary. And uh, yeah, and I take it it's up to yourself then, Mary, when you go to Mass, whether you put the money into the second collection or not. I know there's that. People do it because the neighbours are watching and everybody feels, oh, you're going to be judged if you don't put it in. But it really is up to yourself if you only want to contribute to the one collection, which is the collection for the church, the weekly one, I would be saying only only put into that collection and just pass the basket on when the second bas- basket arrives. 1850-333-103. Can I give a very quick mention to someone who lost a wallet? See if we can find this for the person. Hi, Patricia. I lost a wallet on the bus from Canturk to Mallow. I either lost it when I got off or else I lost it somewhere in Mallow. It was Friday afternoon last. If somebody has found a wallet, please, I'd love to get it back. 089 2219544. And that's from Michael. If anybody has heard of somebody finding who found a wallet uh, either on the bus or just when the person got off the bus or when Michael was walking around Mallow last Friday afternoon was when that wallet was missing. If you can help us, uh, please, you can call us here. 1850 333 The latest jobs on C103. Official media partner of the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd. Get working now to run the full half or relay. More details at c103.ie. The Angler's new gastro bar and restaurant in Carrigrohan in Cork. They're looking for a restaurant event manager, while the Lepin have a vacancy for a full-time experienced chef. And experienced welders wanted for a workshop in the Mallow area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. 
Uh, Mallow-based uh, writer and uh, actor uh, Stephanie Preisner is probably best known as the creator of the hit comedy series, drama series Can't Cope, Won't Cope. She's also had huge success with her first book Why Can't Everything Just Stay the Same which went on to become a bestseller. Well, she's gone and done it again and Stephanie joins me in studio to discuss her latest book Can I Say No? Good morning to you, Stephanie. Good morning. Uh, it's so lovely to uh, be well, actually well, in studio. Yeah, it is great. It's terrific because we've interviewed me before and it's always over the phone. Firstly, thank you for saying yes and coming <laughs> into the studio and doing the interview. Do you like all this press stuff or is it just something you kind of have to get out of the way and do to get the book so out So being there? brutally honest, yeah. like, I love, this I love because I'm back in Mallow, I'm chatting to you, but it's bizarre. Like it's not a natural situation to be like going around to TV studios and radio studios and talking about yourself and your book and it can be quite self-distancing talking about yourself in the third person for a lot of time you know and you just kind of want to I, I just spend my evenings now very quietly like watching television and not it's also, I think, a little bit dangerous because your ego gets so pumped up that you're like, I'm the king of the world. I can do anything. And I, I'm never safe when I'm in those. Because I, wa- I watched you on the late, late and, and you were excellent. Uh, but then I just thought, my God, the publisher is going to absolutely murder. I mean, you what you, you said to people, you don't, don't buy the book. Buy the you book. know, it's okay to say, no, don't buy my book. That's not the idea of what you're doing. You no, need to- <laughs> that's the thing. And the publisher was like, I think you might be the first author we've ever had to go on the late, late show and tell people not to buy your book. But it's also in the spirit of now that wasn't planned and it did kind of slip yeah, out. You could like, see that. I think that like we do live in a world that is so full of shoulds, you know, like you should, you know, be exercising this many times a week. You should be drinking this much water. You should breastfeed. You should not breastfeed. You should do this. You should do that. You should. And like I have a pile of books next to my bed that I call the pile of hope. But more and more, it's like it's turning from hope into guilt because I don't get the time to read them. And when I buy a book, I feel like I'm inadvertently buying the time to read the book, which is not true. And, you know, we gather all these tools. It's actually like Lidl, you know, the middle aisle of Lidl. Yeah. And like, <laughs> so I go in there and I'm like, I need a hammer. So I buy a hammer and then I'm like, oh God, and there's a drill and a chainsaw. And I'm gathering all these tools around me. That you're never but going to use. I haven't even used the hammer in the first yeah. place. And if you don't know how to use a hammer, it's actually quite dangerous to use a chainsaw. So if you're gathering all these self-help tools around you because everyone on Instagram and the Late Late Show is telling you you should buy this book, it just ends up being a burden. And I don't want my book to be next to somebody's bed <laughs> but you being see, a burden. You see, we all have that pile of books that we one day dream of. Mine is I land on a desert island and I don't know how the books are going to get there with me, but they will. And I will read them all one day. We all we all do that. So don't worry about it. You don't have to in any way, anyway, feel guilty about that. Now, I read I read this book and I actually read it while I was off at, at Easter break. It was it was my holiday read and I really did enjoy it because normally I'm forced to read books. I actually enjoyed this one. I really enjoyed it. But I nodded to an awful lot of this book. What is it about us that we feel we have to say yes why do we are we afraid that we will offend if we say no I feel like we believe we're not enough just as we are and that people only want to be our friends because we do stuff for them Mm. and I feel like we swim in a culture of like not enough I'm not enough I, I won't you know like I used to be the girl who would like drive I would choose not to drink on a night out so I could drive everybody home because I felt like 
if I did that, then they'd definitely invite me out because I had a purpose. And or I would be, you know, like buying you phone credit so that you would text me back because I didn't believe that, like, without doing that, you might just want to hang out with me just because of who I am. And I feel like we do things to please other people to make sure that we are loved and included and worthy because we don't understand that our worth is not tied to how compliant we can be. And I think that might be a social thing. I think girls are socialised, particularly girls are socialised that way. Although I was on Classic Hits yesterday with uh, PJ and Jim and Jim is also a people pleaser, which was interesting because I don't meet a lot of men who identify as people pleasers. Yeah, I think I think we women are more people pleasers than that. But men. I think it's because like our school rules, like it says in the book, like the school rules are like, be nice, be kind, share, look out for your friend. And we're crafted into these like little caregivers, you know, who put everyone else's needs ahead of their own. And I'm sure anyone listening, like everyone knows some adult daughter who's like running around to her mother and her mother-in-law and her neighbour doing grocery shopping, wrecked, like run off her feet. And, you know, like how she keeps going is like the third secret of Fatima, but she is absolutely wrecked. And I think I don't really want that for my life. I don't think that being a people pleaser makes me happy and I think I am more of an asset to my friends and family when I am happy. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think it goes back to, because because it it ran throughout your your first book as well, uh, being an only child. There will be lots of people who are an only child listening to this going, oh, I'm not a people pleaser. But I do think that's the key. I think it's because you're an only child. But it is definitely a huge factor because as an only child, Patricia, like if you're not a good friend, you're going to be very lonely. So you learn very quickly, I have to make friends to have people populating my life. And what makes people want to be my friend? It's not saying no. Like as a kid, if you say no a lot, they'll just exclude you. You know, I had Mm. this secret language with my mum so that I didn't have to be the one to say no. So like I used to hang out up in Springwood a lot and there was loads of kids up there on the green where I used to get babysat. And you know, during the day, they'd be like, oh, do you want to come to my house for a sleepover tonight? Or do you want to come to hurling practice or whatever? And mam would then drive into Springwood to pick me up from my minders and I'd run over and all the kids would run over too, waiting for me to ask. And I'd be like, mam, Ashling wants me to go to Camogie later. And if I phrased it, Ashling wants me too. That means you didn't want to go. Then mam would know that she could, she had to say no for me. Yeah. And then she'd be like, no, no, you can't. And then I'd be like, oh, damn. And, then so head she home got with her yeah. happy out. And as soon as an adult says it, well, then you can't go on that side. Yeah. yeah. And so I think my mom got a reputation for being like really strict and like not letting me do anything, whereas actually I didn't want to do anything. And then there were things that she encouraged, I won't say forced, but like encouraged me to do that I wish I hadn't done. Um, but she was just trying to, I think she feels guilty now. I was talking to her, she read the book and she was like, I shouldn't have made you go to your Debs and I shouldn't have made you go to your Junior <laughs> or Disco. And I was like, ah, ma'am, sure, then I just would have written a book about how I regret not going to any of those things. You can't do anything right. <laughs> but older people have a great ability to say no. Mm-hmm. And you have the most wonderful relationship with, with your Nana. And I just love when you put stuff up on, on Twitter about her. But she, older people are well able to say no. Oh, yeah. But I think you, she's 91, right? And I came into the house when I was writing the book and I was like, I wonder if Nana has the same thing. So I came in, in around the corner. She's sitting in the chair she always sits in, making or eating her salmon dinner. And I said, Nana, 
I'm writing this book about saying no and I'm just wondering like have you ever said yes to something that you fundamentally didn't want to do and she went silent for a minute and then as she usually does thinking and then she lifted her head and looked at me and said I don't have time to be thinking about that right now I just want to eat my dinner and sit down and watch more and die <laughs> and I was like look at her like she just doesn't yeah. care um, Ryan, I was on the Late Late Show and Ryan Toberty asked her personally if she would come and be in the audience great no just, just no just full stop no. no is a full sentence I'll watch it at home sort I'll of thing. see more of it at home and I can roll on the ads <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing like. but I just hope that like for myself that I don't have to wait to get to 91 to yeah, be that uncompromising I know, I know. You know? because I do still find it hard she she writes down the scores of Strictly Come Dancing oh my god she writes down the scores of everything we watch Ireland's Got Talent now we're watching Britain's Got Talent every night the notebook comes out it's like and she writes notes. Yeah, did notes she, I was thinking did she watch the Eurovision she did yeah did she, <laughs> so she'll write down each each country their song and a few little thoughts she had on them okay and then she'll come back to it now it's easier with Strictly because it starts off with let's say 10 dancers and they yeah. become less throughout the season but when it's X Factor we start and there's 10 people per episode and she gets attached to someone and you never see them again and what these are like copybooks full of notes her notebook she has yeah. a notebook she's kept a diary every single day of her life since she was like 16 or something wow. just like this I did this Mary rang Steph called for coffee we had chicken wings you know <laughs> more and dahi and are they episode. all kept are they all stored at home Did yeah, she have them? they're all yeah. up in her up in her shelves yeah isn't that terrific she's amazing isn't it do you keep a diary I keep a day journal. It's part of my saying no thing, actually. I keep a day journal so I don't go out to Google calendars, you know, it's all written yeah, down. Yeah. And so if I go into a meeting, because I find it hard to say no, I will, people will say like, oh, would you do this thing for me on Thursday? And I say, oh God, I haven't got my diary with me. Can you leave that with me and I'll check? And then it buys me a bit of time so that I can come back and say no or else yes. I think that's one of the greatest tips actually. And I know you say this isn't a self-help book, but I I think for people, and I I fess up and say I'm one of the people pleasers, it's a great book to read. I think one of the greatest tips is that, is the delay tactic. When somebody asks you to do something and deep down you think, oh God, I don't want to do this. Be, rather than offend and just say no straight out yeah. which we should be able to do but won't that delay tactic is great can I get back to you on that sort of thing yeah. isn't it and it's easier then and it also means that you don't because what is really difficult is surviving that moment of saying no and seeing it on somebody's face and it's like that moment in The Simpsons when Ralph's heart breaks in real time and you can see it happening but I still struggle to say no to someone's face because I feel like, oh God, they hate me. I've disappointed them. I'm terrible. So buying a little bit of time, getting a bit of space so that you can come back to them on the phone or in an email and just say, listen, I looked and it's just not going to work. I'm sorry about that. Can we look at it again another time or something? Um, Buying yourself time is always great because I also find, like I'm an introvert and an extrovert. If there's a word for it, it's called ambivert. And sometimes when I'm extroverted, I feel on top of the world. I feel like I could do anything. And what's very dangerous then is that extroverted Stephanie will agree to everything. Yeah. Introverted Stephanie to doing something that she's incapable of doing because there are days when like particularly like now that I'm on this media tour and I'm, I'm like I get so depleted that like meeting someone for a coffee is just one bridge too far you know and but two weeks ago I would have committed to it and I really would have wanted to do it so I just need to be a little bit careful not to throw introverted Stephanie under a bus when I'm feeling particularly energetic <laughs> Are you able to return food in a restaurant easily? Not easily oh my no. god it only happened the other day and I very rarely do it because something would want to be extremely egregious for me to be like hang on I need to send this back 
But the other day, I just thought, I have to practice what I've been preaching here. Like, And the soup was cold and the chicken was actually freezing on the inside. Like it had been frozen and then was microwaved. And I just sent that back and was like, and very politely, you know, because nobody yeah. intends to send you dirty food. Um, so I just said, like, I'm really sorry, but I just wouldn't be able to eat that. Is there any chance I could get something else? Um, but Irish people, I think, particularly are very bad about sending back food like they'll and even the waitress comes along and is like is everything okay for you here and you're like yeah yeah fine and then she walks away and you're like oh god and then you pay for it and then you're resentful but I don't like carrying those little resentments around so it's much easier to just say the thing resolve the situation and then you go out thinking huh that was a fine encounter and I'll go back there again yeah and and it does it gets easier the more you do it but it's just that initial but what about people saying no to you I mean you don't take take offence if somebody if if, if if someone says no to you do you no I don't God almighty you wouldn't want to as an actor like I've had somebody knows my life Um, when someone says no to me sometimes I you know it does you're kind of a little bit disappointed maybe sometimes but ultimately you understand and what I think is dangerous is well now in work situations like the agent that I have, I'm with the Lisa Richards agency um, in Dublin and they said no to me twice. And um, I kept going back because, you know, I felt like I was evolving. And each time I went back, I was offering something different because my skill set had changed. But there is something about the narrative that I think Hollywood projects a lot, which is that no eventually leads to yes, if you work hard enough, particularly in a romantic sense. And I think that's quite dangerous. Mm. Um uh, I think we need to sort of like open up a discussion about taking no for an answer when it comes to romance and consent and the way that I can help that. I feel a responsibility as a screenwriter not to create any more scripts where someone is pursuing someone romantically and gets several no's that eventually lead to a yes because I think no is a very powerful word, word but you should use it when you mean it and when you hear it, you should take it seriously. And I think that that's kind of the message of can I say no, is that you don't always have to say no, but you do always have to feel like you could and it would be respected. Mm. And that's not just in romance, that's in, in, in work and in friendships and in your own personal life. It's about power. And if you feel like you can't say no, it's such a powerless feeling. It's really not nice. You have a really wise head on, the, <laughs> on those young shoulders. Um, the, the, do you get a buzz out of walking into shops and seeing your book on the shelf? The shops when people don't know who you are and you walk in and there have you? I do. Like, it's kind of cool. And I do this thing called secret signing, which I put up on Instagram then. So if I walk into a shop, I have a pen with me. Yeah. And I'll just sign one book secretly. Yeah. And then write like, so enjoy the read, Steph, and then hashtag secret signing. And then people like, and then I'll be like, I just signed a book in, you know, book station in Tala. And then someone on Instagram, maybe that day, maybe the next day will find it and then be like, oh my God, I found a secretly signed book. It's like Willy Wonka and the Golden Tickets. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I love, I'm loving Instagram at the moment because it's so lovely to be able to connect with readers. Like, because before I imagine a writer would write a book and it was only really like newspaper critics that would ever tell them how they felt. But like, I get to actually speak to people who connect to the book and who have similar experiences of like... that's great trauma from sharing crayons at school and, um, you know, 
people who also loved Sabrina the Teenage Witch or Sister Sister. It's just lovely to like be able to connect with people on a personal level. That's great. I remember Maeve Binchy, Lorsha Mercer, the wonderful Maeve Binchy saying when her first book came out and she was so excited about the book coming out and she used to go into bookshops and she'd put them out the front and she'd yeah. very quickly and then she'd run back out again. And then she'd and, 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 and then she'd pass the next day and another book would have gone in front. She'd go back in again and she'd fix it. And I just thought it was the, it was the, it was, it was the sweetest thing. I'm looking you, forward to the day that I find my book in a charity shop. Oh yeah. I haven't yeah, seen that, it. No, it'll be a enough. while for yeah. that to happen. It'll be a while. You live in Dublin but is, is Mallow still home? Ah uh, yeah. Um, there was a, actually a piece in the Examiner last week that I really lo- like sometimes people do interviews and you're like oh Grant they did their job but Siobhan Howe from the Examiner did an interview about how Mallow is still home and it really touched me because I met her just after the book signing and I was just so full of gratitude for everyone who came into Easton's in Mallow and, 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 and bought the book and wanted me to sign the book and there's a sense of community here that you just don't get in Dublin because of you know the vastness too big. and yeah. The, this, like, yeah and how just yeah how vast it is and you know, this morning, like I, I rushed out of the house yesterday in Dublin and I forgot my jeans. And then I was able to like run up to my friend in Cairn Woods, Julie, and be like, Julie, do you have a pair of jeans that I can borrow? So I'm wearing Julie's jeans today. <laughs> Thank Thanks. you, Julie. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. Um, and yeah, there's just such a sense of community and support. And my mom lives here and I'm very grateful to the community that she has around her because it means that I feel like when I'm in Dublin, she's got her own little life down here she's not lonely she doesn't need you know and that's a really you don't nice, have the guilt exactly yeah. it's a really nice feeling um, we have amazing neighbours in the leeches next door and it does always feel like like home like I can just wake up in the morning put on my tracksuits go for a walk around town I don't have to be anyone I don't have to prove anything it's just my home and oh, I love it well and done. it's lovely to see like new businesses popping up yeah. each time I come home and I think it's a town that's really like apart from the bottleneck traffic like it, don't mention it, the plaza don't mention the plaza really, yeah. other really than that it's, it's a lovely town and what are you working at the moment what's, what's so next apart for this, Stephanie Prisner um, apart from this I'm, I'm waiting so I'm doing this book tour and then I'm going on holidays for a week and then I'm writing a new show for the BBC so I'll be over in London Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For a little while doing that. Okay. Well, good luck with it. The book is terrific. It's available, as they say, in all good bookshops. Can I say no by... There's a couple a st- of signed copies in Easton's in Mallow, if anyone... Yeah. Not secretly, for- they're there. Yeah, they're I'll on go display. into Phillips and maybe secretly sign Decide. a Please well. do. Please do. Listen, thanks a million. Pleasure to have had you in uh, studio. Good luck with the book and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Good morning. This is the Court Today replay on C103. 
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Award-winning play Trad by Mark Doherty opens tonight at the Everyman Theatre and it runs until next Friday. Described as a highly authentic and original Irish comedy. Joining me to discuss the production is the director, uh, Aaron Monaghan. Uh, good morning to you, Aaron. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, I described it as a comedy, but it's also a very moving story, which I think is going to resonate with a lot of people. Just outline the basic storyline of Trad. Uh, well, it, it, it has one of the greatest um, uh, setups of any plays that I've ever had uh, come across in my career. It's a 100-year-old man uh, living with his father. Um, and the son, who is 100 years old, has one arm and the father has one leg. And they discover that the son has a son himself who is about 70 years old. So the two men uh, go out to find their uh, long-lost relative and uh, try and uh, discover that their family line will go on. So that's the premise. Like, how, do you, how do you cast an actor who plays a 100-year-old man? <laughs> <laughs> With great difficulty. Um, I suppose, uh, you know, Mark, the, the writer, has kind of given given you a, a great task in doing that. So obviously, we're 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 in the real world, but we're not quite in the real world. It's it's slightly absurdist. So there's no way you can find a, a hundred year old actor and a hundred and thirty year old actor. Say, and um, so what we've done is we've cast a, a, a young man uh, in his in his thirties playing the, the father. And a man in his fifties playing uh, the son, and we kind of age them up a little bit, and they they do a lot of very good physical uh, comedy acting, and and that's this makeup and hair does the rest really. And you've just had a two week sellout run at the Abbey Theatre. How was the play received? Uh, it was it was fantastic, and um, we, we we sold out there. We had to add, add some extra dates. Um, couldn't get a, a, a seat for love nor money. I had to buy some tickets for my wife. Actually, cool. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, could, couldn't even get tickets myself. Uh, no, it was great. We, we've we've done a tour all over the country. We we opened in Dunleary. Uh, we went to the Mick Lally Theatre in Galway. Uh, we bought it to our home venue in the Rammer Theatre in Virginia in County Cavan. Uh, we went to um, the Solstice in Navan. We did a two week run in the Abbey there in the Peacock Theatre, and uh, we're finishing up in Cork in the Everyman this week. So we're delighted to be finished down here. And what's lovely and different about Trad is it features live musicians. That's right. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, it's called Trad, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, references to Trad music. And uh, Mark's father, Mark Doherty's father, is is the uh, famous and uh, renowned musician and composer Jim Doherty, who I'm sure uh, many of your listeners absolutely. Will know. Uh, I, I hardly need to introduce him, yeah. sure, but he, he composed the music for Trad. So in between each scene um, and in between, you know, during some of the scenes, there is live uh, music composed by Jim in the traditional um, style. So we have a traditional guitarist and a traditional Irish music, uh, Irish fiddler. So they play music uh, live on stage uh, with us as well. Yeah. And are they just sitting on the stage for the entire play? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah they're, they're there the whole time. They they kind of start the show and they kind of end it uh, and they and play in between it. Yeah, so it's 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 um, there's, a, there's a little bit of everything. Yes, yeah, live music and uh, it's kind of a heartbreaking comedy in between it. And the music kind of adds to that. It adds to the comedy and it adds to the to the poignancy of the play. And then it isn't quite a double hander while you while you have the father and son uh, Emmett and and Seamus on stage. There's also another two characters played by one person. That's right. Yeah, there, there's, you know, it, it's nearly like waiting for Godot in many respects, that you have this kind of double act 
um, kind of, uh, you know, slapstick comedy, you know, the heartbreaking, foolish, uh, Lauren Hardy kind of couple, um, but by, by the two men, Seamus O'Rourke and Emmett Kerwin. And then Mark kind of adds in two other characters that these, uh, that the, the two main actors, that the two main characters meet along their way. One is a very old woman called Sal, and the other is uh, a priest called Father Rice. Um, and they encounter this, uh, these two characters on their travels. And Mark has written that an actor traditionally plays both roles. And in you know, in the history of, of all the other productions, uh, we've we've it's usually been a man playing that part. But I, I kind of saw uh, no reason why we couldn't have a woman uh, playing both parts. Yeah, you usually have an actor playing a man and uh, and, and a woman. So we've kind of reversed it. We well have a woman playing a man and a woman. So it's Claire Barris. Um, who, you know, I'm sure your audience know very well from doing lots of um, uh, Sive, uh, uh, John Bikin stuff and uh, Druid stuff um, and Maeve Binchy stuff as well. She's, she's well known to audiences around the country. Yeah, and the, and the play is produced by the Living Dread Theatre Company, where you've recently taken over as artistic director. And I'm told this is your first production with the company in a directing role. That's right, yeah. Myself and, um, and Porrick McIntyre and Mary Hanley set up the company in 2004 in Cavan, just with the specific kind of remit of, of, of bringing theatre to Cavan and to the Midlands, because very little theatre back in 2004 seemed to be travelling there. So we thought, you know, second, we'll make we'll our do own it stuff. ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've been going for 15 years, and Porrick was the artistic director for about 13 and a half years. He did some brilliant stuff. Uh, amazing stuff. I think he directed 29 productions over, over the years. My involvement was more in a producing role and, you know, as an actor as well, I kind of appeared in lots of those plays as well. So Porrick has taken over the running of the Rammer Theatre, which is our, our, our home theatre back in Cavan in Virginia. And um, uh, I stepped in as artistic director. So um, this is our 30th show and it's my first artistic director. So, uh, yeah, really excited about that and kind of, and, and, and really proud of it. So, and yeah, what, proud, what's, proud Region 30. what's the plan? Will you go on and do 29 as well? <laughs> I don't know. I, we, we'll see. We, we've planned for, we, we're hopefully going to tour Trad again uh, later in the year, maybe next year. Uh, we've a few other things in development as well. Hopefully, hopefully a good few more years of, of, um, of plays like Trad. And uh, we'll see when Mike, Mike Cox pour it back into uh, a director's chair at some point in the near future, hopefully, when he gets his feet under the table in, in the rammer. And looking forward to the Everyman, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've played the Everyman before. I have. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think all of us have. We're, we're really excited to be back here. I've, I've, do, I've done the Everyman a good few times with, with Druid. Um, I, I think did the Silver Tassie there. I did Wait for Godo there most recently, um, which, which was fantastic. It was an amazing experience for us. Uh, I think I remember really memorable memorable um, production of uh, the Tom Murphys which went uh, down it was a real treat here it went down really really well here uh, that was about five years ago so yeah we're all delighted to be back it's a, uh, it's, it's a fabulous theatre it's just it's there's just, something magical about that theatre there really is it's it's it, 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 it's really special and it's obviously you know it's a listed building and you can see yeah. why I mean it's just it's such a gorgeous theatre to play it's, it's, it's kind of it's epic and it's, it's intimate at the same time it just has that um 
it has that unique blend of kind of intimacy and uh, and size at the same time. Yeah, yeah well, well in, enjoy your week in Cork, Erin, uh, and thanks a million for taking time out uh, to join us on the programme today. Thanks so much. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Erin uh, Monaghan, who is the director of Trad. It opens in the Everyman tonight, and it runs through until up to and including this Friday. Uh, tickets are available at the EverymanCork.com or by calling the box office on 021 45016 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The listeners been on to say they found a tailboard for a trailer and it was found on the Ballyclaw Road. Were you driving along with your trailer and did the tailboard fall off? If so, someone at the end of 086 827 6378 is looking after it. That's 086 827 6378. We're going to do our competition. We'll do it by phone. Will we go with caller number 13? We'll make it lucky caller number 13. This is the Mallow Home and Garden Festival, Munster's biggest outdoor festival. It's on the race course in Mallow and it's on Friday, Saturday and Sunday of this coming weekend. And in conjunction with the Mallow Home and Garden Festival, C103 and Co-op Superstores in Mallow have come up with a wonderful prize. It's a Hampton three-seater corner lounging set. It's made up of a three-seater sofa, there's an ottoman and there is a coffee table. All of it's weather resistant so it's suitable for year-round use and outdoor use in the garden. You've got to guess the name on the sofa. This was a guest who appeared on the programme. Who is this? The very first Mrs Brown's Boys play actually uh, went out in Cork in the Everyman in 1999. Now, John Paul is a stickler on this. We're looking for her that person's actual name, not the part that she's known as. Because straight away, when I heard it, I went, oh, that's... And then John Paul said, no, we need a real name. We need... <laughs> and then I didn't know. I knew exactly who it was. But instantly you think of the part that person plays. OK, who is that? If you can identify who was that guest that was on our sofa, get dialing now. 1850-333-103. Caller number 13 qualifies for today. We've had a qualifier from yesterday. By Friday we'll have five qualifiers. All names will go into the hat when we get our fifth qualifier on Friday and then we'll make a draw and somebody will win the Hampton three-seater corner lounging set. The very first Mrs Brown's Boys play actually uh, went out in Cork in the Everyman in 1999. And our thanks to the Mallow Home and Garden Show and Co-op Superstores in Mallow for coming up with that lovely prize. Looking at some of your thoughts coming into the programme this morning. We've been talking about the church making donations when you were at Mass and this got teed off when I was talking about the First Holy Communion Mass, the lovely Mass that I was at on, on Saturday and the priest asking the children to please, well they asked the parents, because they're only what, eight year olds, they're second class, ask the parents, please bring your child to Mass tomorrow so that he can they were little boys so that they can make their second Holy Communion and let not the first Holy Communion let not them wait until their confirmation for the next one and then out of the class of 33 five of them turned up the following day at uh, Mass Tim says as disappointing as it was for the priest it must have been equally so and bewildering for the children who came to the Mass on the following day team spirit and class solidarity gone early says uh, Tim because yeah the the five who were in the church were called up and they were up on the altar so yes that's a good point uh, Tim and I hadn't thought about that they would have gone back to school yesterday I wonder did that get discussed amongst their little classmates 
you know, the fact that only five of the 33 were back up on the old trails uh, the following day. And then on giving and donating and too many collections at church. Uh, Patricia, I give nothing to the church, says this texture. I give my donations to the homeless, Simon Charity in particular. They need it more. And so there should be nobody on our streets in this day and age. So I rather give to charities than give to the church. And here's a great email to Patricia at c103.ie. Uh, it's not, I have the listener's name, but it's not signed, so I don't know if, if she wants her name called out, so we, we, won't, we won't call out the name just in case. It says, Hi Patricia, I remember a long time ago we were taken to Mass every Sunday without fail. Money was always scarce in our house, but my parents would put three, a three penny, a threepenny bit, three penny bit each into the collection box, which was at the door going into Mass. As we got older, myself and my brother got a penny each to put in. And to be honest, we'd have preferred to spend that penny on sweets. The parish priest, one Sunday, asked that the collection would be better as a silver collection. And I knew that my mother in particular was really upset. So she sat and thought about it. And after much discussion with my father, it was agreed that he would put a sixpence into the collection box and we got the two pennies to spend on sweets afterwards. So it was a known goal by the parish priest as he ended up getting less. But it also taught me a very valuable lesson. Never be ashamed to be poor. If you can give, please do. I always agree with the pay forward system so I'll be the first to help when I can. And an hour of volunteering is worth a lot more than putting a euro into a box. When you can give, do so would never be guilted into doing it. Not a, not a great message in that. And, and you're right, never be ashamed to be poor. And I remember during the downturn, it was one of the stories every now and again we'd get a letter or there'd be a phone call or an email in about it with people saying that, saying that, you know, they'd lost their jobs or their husband had lost a job and there was no income coming into the family. And uh, they were, you know, living, literally living hand uh, to mouth. And one of the real downsides to it was they were, it was one family in particular will always stick out. They were ashamed to go to Mass because they didn't have the money for the collection box. You know, they might have literally had nothing left when it came to heading off to Mass on a Sunday morning. And they knew there'd be a church gate collection at the gate of the church and it would be their neighbours, you know, because generally speaking, that's what happens at church gate collections. The people living locally will be manning the tables. And uh, this family were just so embarrassed that they stopped going to Mass. And then she said that they, she herself used to go to Mass during the week because there was never a collection at the Mass during the week. So she felt she would make up for it that way. But the actual reason was because they had, there was no income coming into the house and every single euro she needed, you know, to put food on the table and to pay bills and, you know, putting money away for all of the different bills that came in. And I just thought, my God, that's not what the Catholic Church was built on and that's not what going to Mass should be about. So well done to that valuable lesson learned and remembered. How stupid and silly of the priest to say that, let's make it a silver collection and putting pressure. And at a time when people didn't have a lot of money, you know, just greed, I would have to say, on behalf of the priest. But thank you for that email to Patricia at C103. And the phones are still ringing and you can stop ringing us, please, um, because um, Eilish O'Carroll was the voice that we wanted to identify and Sheila O'Leary in Balangiri correctly identified that it was Eilish uh, O'Carroll, better known to you and me as Winnie. <laughs> I still, every time, when I heard it, that was my instant reaction when I heard it. was, oh, that's Winnie. It's Eilish O'Carroll. So well done. 
Sheila O'Leary, Ballingiri, our qualifier for today. So two more qualifiers to go and your chance to win on the programme on Friday. Thanks to the Mallow Home and Garden Show and the co-op superstores in uh, Mallow. Also coming up on the programme, what else is coming into us by uh, text? Tim is asking about when councillors retire and they get a golden handshake. And he's talking in particular about one councillor who decided to step down in 2014, but has decided to go out to go again, to run again for the for the local um, local electoral uh, area. But Tim's issue is when people take the severance pay that they get when they retire or when they lose their seat as well, they get the severance uh, pay. Surely that's not right, that if you take the money, you shouldn't be allowed to stand again. He also feels the remuneration for a councillor €25,000 uh, a year is good for the few hours a week work that they do at a meeting system. Well, I'll jump in straight away and local candidates and local councillors are well able to defend themselves. Tim, you're living in La La Land if you believe a councillor worth his salt only does a few hours work a week. There are some councillors who opt to be full-time public representatives but there are others because of financial commitments that also have to hold down a day job and do their council uh, work and believe me you might only hear about the meetings that they attend. There's a lot more work goes in, particularly if you want to get re-elected there's a lot more work goes in. But on the actual severance pay you see the severance pay is paid out to local authority councillors who lose their seats or decide to retire. So it's paid out to both. So if somebody loses their seat and they get their severance payment they are entitled to run again in another five years. So I suppose the said could be said the same could be said of somebody who opts to retire, takes the severance payment and then decides five years later, ten years later or whatever that they've more to offer so they decide to run again. So there's no hard and fast rules that you can only take that severance payment once. Now I know in 2014 which would have been the after the last local election the severance payment works out if you do one term of five years and you lose your seat or you decide to not run for whatever reason it was a lump sum payment of €16,724 and then you know if you did two terms or over 10 years it was €33,500 and if you did and it goes up and up and up and I know there was someone the last time in 2014 who had I think about 40 years service with the council and they came out with just under €64,000 and no doubt we'll get the same figures after this local election but there is a severance package as I say for one five year term it is just under €17,000 if they lose their seat or if they decide not to run. But there's nothing in the rules and regulations, Tim, to say that you can't change your mind and run again. And then on the listener that contacted us, it was, we gave her the name of Noreen who's upset about the, I said this is like a family, this is a family dispute and there's, you know, family dynamics and arguments within families. It happens in all families. I mean, we'd love to think we all are like Little House on the Prairie or we're all like the Waltons and everybody gets on. But in reality, that isn't the case. And there's always petty squabbles and then squabbles that can get outside of being petty squabbles and can be can end up in abuse I mean I think that's what when we spoke earlier with Safeguarding Ireland that's, that is happening unfortunately and happening in more families but Noreen contacted us because in her house the row is between the father 
who's the retired farmer and the daughter who's working the land and she said it just gets really nasty it gets it's very negative it's insults flying over and back and there was a big bust up about 10 days ago where the father basically said to the daughter you're not my daughter you're not my flesh and blood and just got really and I imagine that's very upsetting for the daughter to hear that. The daughter continues to work the farm, even though the farm hasn't been signed over to her. Noreen, who contacted us, was looking for advice because she's stuck in the middle of her husband, the father of the of her daughter, rowing. And she's trying to make peace with both of them. And all she wants is a quiet life. And she says, you know, when they get on, they get on and everything is fine. But it's when they row. And this particular row now has gone on for 10, ten days and nobody's speaking to each other. So I suppose... With nobody speaking to each other, nor and there's a bit of peace and quiet, but I can imagine the tension that is in the house. And she's now in the situation where the daughter will only come in when she knows the father isn't there. So it's obviously communicating through Noreen. And that's no way uh, to live uh, either. And then somebody was wondering, could it, could all the rows and the aggression on the daughter's side have to do with the fact that as Noreen said, the farm hasn't been signed over because somebody makes a point and says, hi Patricia, there was many a a young person wasted the best years of their lives for empty promises that they would get this, they would get that and then when the time came, they got nothing and that can be a problem. But we've heard of stories in the past of somebody signing over everything and then it turns out that the elder abuse kicks in and the person is asked to leave the farm or ends up in a situation where they regret that they ever handed it over. So it isn't just a simple thing of, oh, I will give give everything to you. But I just think it more goes back to it's the dynamics within the family. And unfortunately, you will have, we all have family members that we mightn't particularly like or we mightn't particularly get on with. So I don't think you're on your, on your own, but I, but I can feel your your pain and your sense of loss and also what's going on at the moment, the tension that's in the house. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. A monster bingo going on at half past eight tonight in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway. It's a native local charities. Raffle tickets will be sold on the night for cash prizes and for bingo books. For my Widows Association, they are meeting tomorrow night, seven o'clock in Toss Brines Garden Centre. All widows and their friends are welcome. While a charity pop-up shop will be held in the old post office in Formoy this coming Friday and Saturday, open from 10am to 5 on both days. You can pop in, pick up new and used household and garden goods, home baking and lots of surprises. Teas and coffees will be available and there's also a raffle. The event is in support of the Church of Ireland churches in the Bandon area, but it's in the old post office in Formoy. And the 13th annual Cork City Marathon Half Marathon and Team Relay is taking place on Sunday June the 2nd it's the internationally recognised internationally recognised with competitors from far and wide you can register and get further information on www.corkcitymarathon.ie and 96FM and C103 we're proud media sponsors of this event some of your whatsapps in hi Patricia what was the name of the book being promoted earlier please by the female author the female author was Stephanie Preisner and the book is called Can I Say no 
Can I Say No? It's published by Hatchet Books, available in all good bookshops. It is, honestly, it is a great, great read. Um, it's a humorous read, but it's one of those books, if you are, I think, I, I certainly will fess up and say I have a huge problem with trying to say no. I think as I'm getting older, I'm probably getting a little bit better, but I still have the guilt. It's just the huge guilt that, and I'm not saying men aren't good about uh, saying no, they're not, but I just think men say no easier than we women do. I know certainly my husband has a great ability to be able to say no and I'm looking and I'm going, oh, I wish I could say no. And and he'll know that I've said yes to something that I really don't want to do but he's got no problem saying no, sorry, that doesn't suit. And he does it in a nice way. It's just, you know, it's not insulting but it's just I think we women just find it a little bit difficult and that's what Stephanie's book is all about. It uh, is uh, terrific. On Churchgate Collections, Texture says, I'm now in my 50s, uh, but in my late teens, I couldn't afford to put money into the collection box at Mass. So guess what I did? I volunteered to do the collection. That's a clever one. So the person collecting it, nobody will ever notice that that person hasn't put money into the collection uh, box. And John in Cork says, Patricia, do you know how Ireland was placed in the Eurovision when the votes of the semi-final were revealed? I do. I'll give them to you, but let me just read John's text first. One of the reasons I think we do not qualify for the Eurovision Song Contest for the final is that we're submitting songs and singers suitable for the younger generation. The voting audience is from nine-year-olds to 90-year-olds. I think we should, we should be sending more mature singers with a song that will appeal to all age groups. When we've won in previous years, the songs were sung by more mature singers. I also think that more of our top songwriters and singers should be willing to put themselves forward to send a suitable song to the Eurovision. They owe it to their fans who supported them and to the Irish music industry. They have no problem in getting payments from IMRO, says John in Cork. Okay. Okay, just to let you know who, how Ireland did in... Okay, Ireland were in the second semi-final Thursday of last week. And as we know, they didn't uh, qualify. I've, I looked at the results because they came out after the final on Saturday night. And I'm sorry to say it makes for grim reading for Ireland. We actually came last and we received the lowest ever score in Eurovision history. Sarah, young Sarah, earned just 16 points in the semi-final and getting 16 points put her in 18th place in the second semi-final out of 18 songs, so it was last. And the 16 points means she got six points less than the worst result before that ever achieved by Ireland, which was for Dustin the Turkey in 2008 when we also failed to qualify so certainly not a great day at the office and my heart goes out to young Sarah because bless her heart she went out there and she did her best but I just just think the song really just think the song uh, left her down uh, 22 it just wasn't good enough so yeah so last we've it's the worst we've ever done like we we came I think I don't know if we came last with Dustin or we were close enough to being last but certainly from a points point of view we've never got uh, lower so no not a great day at the office uh, for her 1850 we're going to take a break and we are back uh, with uh, Joe Heffernan after these C103 Anthems Three anthems. Man, I feel like a woman. The biggest songs of all time. See one of three anthems. Love is in the air. Everywhere I look around. Songs that continue to inspire generations. 
Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Joe Heffernan uh, joins us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon. And we have been discussing anxiety over the last few weeks and particularly children suffering from anxiety. And we're finishing it up today with the role the parents can play and the help that uh, parents can give uh, to uh, to to a child, particularly a child suffering from anxiety. And the very first one you have on your list is pay attention to your child's feeling and listen. The worst thing you can do, I imagine, if somebody is suffering from anxiety is for a parent not to acknowledge it, not to listen and not to take on board what the young person is saying. Absolutely. Or or to kind of, um, to minimise it. Um, You know, uh, you know, uh, an example is maybe the best way to say it, even though it is a bit, um, it is a bit critical of my own parents at the time. But I remember I was about sixteen, and um, I was madly in love, really. Now, and um, there was a certain song, and it was Billy Fury, and it was a thousand stars. If you want to be my age, no, maybe to remember that, or even Billy Fury. But anyway. The song came on, we were having a meal, and Joe became very tearful and very upset. Was this unrequited love? Or d- it was. Oh, okay. It was. She right. didn't give a tuppenny hoot about oh, me. Okay. Yeah. Right. Sorry, yeah. I shouldn't laugh at you, but oh, poor, yeah. poor oh, 16 year old Joe. Okay, so, you, so you're at the table, and your, your heart's broken, and the song comes on. Yeah. And you, st- you get upset. Yeah, oh, very. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, you see, that was really, really, really very serious for me. I was very upset. Now, um, the parents got a great kick out of it. They, they, they thought it was kind of hilarious, like, that here was the young fella. He's 16, like, and um, and uh, he's, uh, he's, he's broken-hearted about this young woman. But, you see, it wasn't, it wasn't a small thing at all to me. Oh, no. No, no. No, no. Um, I mean... I wasn't damaged for life or anything like that, really. Um, <laughs> maybe a bit. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm over it at this stage. But what I'm getting at is that, you know, um, uh, you're, we, we weren't into all of how how to do things maybe back then. That would have been, what, um, uh, 1950, 1952, um, Whereas today there's more an awareness that, that you wouldn't awareness. you wouldn't laugh that off. But if somebody, I mean, that's a broken a teenage broken heart. Whereas yeah. as you say, very different to somebody suffering from anxiety or you know, bordering on a panic attack. You know, telling somebody to cop on and get over it, you'll be fine. It's just oh, geez. Just, yeah, yeah. No, that would be about the the top of the list of don'ts. Of no's, do. yeah, yeah. It's kind. Yeah. Of, it's almost like, and I know it came up that only last week on the program, somebody was looking for help with uh, a friend who was battling anorexia. It's like saying to somebody who suffers from anorexia, oh, "Would you just eat your dinner? You'll be fine." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so exactly. so, li- so listen, like listen, listen is the first one. And, okay, and to to maybe you know to say. You know, very simply, tell me, what is it that's troubling you? And um, and and then to to pay attention 
and maybe to encourage, um, but to listen. And maybe not, you know, um, immediately head into solving the whole thing for them. Um, uh, sometimes a person just needs to be heard and that, uh, rather than, well, no, this is what you do. No, there could be a little bit of this is what you do, uh, maybe said in a different way. But, um, yeah, and then... I suppose it's essential um, that if the child, um, and we're not talking kiddies now, we're talking maybe teenagers, that if the person is extremely upset, the parent needs to stay calm. Because if you have two people who are extremely upset and, uh, and the anxiety levels rise, well, that's not... That, that, that's only throwing, as we'll call it, petrol on a fire. Um, that's going to make the thing worse. So um, the parent would need to stay calm and not immediately reassure with, as you said yourself, and spot on, uh, you'll be fine. Um, but to, to maybe say um, uh, that that must feel pretty awful for you. And that validates the, the, the young person's feelings. And validating the feeling is, is very important because it acknowledges it rather than uh, sort of uh, dismisses it or denies it. So that um, that would be part of the listening, would be to stay calm and to encourage the young person to talk. A lot of people would say, and indeed we've all found it maybe at times as parents of teenagers, they're not exactly um, effusive about talking about, you know. Yeah, and particularly about their feelings to their parents. Yeah. They might talk to somebody else or they might talk to a friend, but like yeah. when you're a teenager, your your parent is probably the last person that you're going to want to open up to. But yet, yeah. in a situation like this, it's to try and keep those lines of communication uh, going. Absolutely. And, and, and you, and you recognise and you praise the small accomplice. Absolutely. For example, you might say, would you like to maybe talk to someone uh, in a professional, confidential setting outside of home and outside of, um, you know, uh, formal, we'll say a school or whatever. And... If the person was to kind of go along with that, um, you know, to praise it and to say, well done, well done. That now is a major move in the right direction. And um, uh, don't worry, um, what you say won't be repeated back to me, the parent, or anyone else, um, that, uh, that it will be um, uh, confidential, professional, of course, when the young person goes to the person uh, concerned, um, they, they, they're going to say, at least I do anyway, that, um, you know, I won't be running to the parent with every tittle-tattle that the only thing I would go to the parent about is if there was something that the parent absolutely needed, needed to, to know. know. Yeah. Like if there was some um, uh, dangerous intention or, or something like that. Um, and you also say you know, while, while you're recognising and praising the, the small accomplishments don't punish mistakes what do you mean by that? Well you see there can be setbacks um, 
uh, we'll say you now with a person, um, let me think of an example now. Right, we'll say that there's... Um, uh, right, we, we'll say OCD. Okay. That, that the anxiety is making the person... Uh, is... is uh, suggesting to the person that doing this or that ritual would help. Or we'll say that there is self-harm involved. Now, by self-harm, I don't mean... Um, uh, um, an attempt at taking one's life. What I'm talking about is self-harm in the sense of cutting or something like that, which is not um, a suicide attempt and it's not an intention to end one's life. In fact, it's uh, an inappropriate way of trying to make life bearable. Um, Now, there could be slips. I mean, a person might be uh, doing extremely well for a fortnight, for three weeks, and whatever. And then there's an incident or there's a setback or the young person feels more anxious, bad about something or other, and we'll say there's a slip in the line of um, a whatever ritual or maybe a a self-harming episode. Well then, to don't punish that, to say, well, you've been doing great, um, you know, uh, when we think about the last three weeks, things were wonderful and, you know, fair play to you. And then be patient and uh, and to say, like, look, this is a bit of a slip, but sure, we'll, we'll get back on board again now and uh, we'll move forward. And um, everything will be OK. Yeah. And, and the one thing of, that parents can do. Okay, because it's it's that sense of feeling lost if it's if it's your child is going through this and you just want to make the world a better place and you want everything to be okay for your son and daughter, but keeping a routine is so important to somebody suffering from anxiety and that's something that the parents can really help with. Yeah, yeah. For example, I mean, if there's a, a hobby uh, or some activity, whatever uh, that the uh, the young person enjoyed and that it gives them a break from, uh, you know, the old anxiety uh, feelings, um, well then, um, to encourage that and to say, okay, um, this is this is your cycling club there. Um, let, let's, let's head off. And um, maybe to be a little bit persuasive that if the person says, I don't want to go, you know, to gently kind of say, well, look, you might feel an awful lot better after it. I mean, have a think about it. And um, if you want to go, we we will go. Now, um, that's a kind of a delicate line, isn't it? I mean, between insisting and encouraging. But, you know, um, to try and find that particular place in between um, the insistence and the and the, and, and, and the encouraging and and to do that. Um, but yeah, um, a normal routine is important. I mean a normal routine in the more uh, usual things like um, mealtimes, um, uh, bedtimes, uh, to try and keep things normal. I mean, uh, it wouldn't be a good idea if the young person is staying in bed until 3pm and is up until 2am. Uh, that would kind of throw the... Uh, well, it's going to affect going to school and everything then, isn't well, it, in college? That, yeah, and, really and, and you, you, you say, you know, you've got to also be aware if somebody is very reluctant to go to school, you know, keep it in the back of your head that bullying could be involved. It could be. 
It could be lots of things. It could be it could be bullying, which is I suppose we'll put it at the top of the list there. Um but it could also be um loss of a friendship. Um you know, when there were good friends who are no longer friends or some misunderstanding has taken place or um or whatever and the 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 person feels um which is a horrible feeling for a young person excluded yeah, if they yeah. feel excluded um from a group where they fitted in well before well that that, that could make it really really tough um to face on into the group um, uh, in the setting, in the school setting. But again, um, it's, up, it's up to the parents to keep on top of the communication aspect of it to, to find out what's going on and to try and find out what's happening. Absolutely, absolutely. Do, somebody and is sent in necessary it's... To, to get in touch with the school and, you know, to maybe um, have a chat with um, the principal or the relevant person in the school and, um, you know, to kind of... Uh, to be helpful mm. without, again, staying calm and staying um, logical, but to try and help, of course. Somebody's asking, did Joe see Nadia from the Great British Bake Off on BBC on her programme the other day? She did a programme, it was last Wednesday night, it was Nadia, Anxiety and Me. Uh, it was on. It was on BBC. It was. If you can get it on the, you didn't obviously see it, Joe, did you? I did. I saw some did, of it. Did you? Yeah. Because I she... often run through the uh, the the planner on what's coming up, and yeah. if I see anything that would be anywhere relevant to my own work, I'd always put it on the. And CBT. CBT. Uh, I, I saw bits of it. Yeah. CBT was the key for her. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um. But you know, um, the the loving. The loving home, yeah. the you 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 just cannot do better than that. That the person you see the self esteem would be after taking a real dip here, and when you think of the building blocks of that, the sense of security, the sense of identity, the sense of belonging, they're all after taking a fair bashing. So that I mean, to be aware of that. And if you can get a person back to where they feel secure, they feel safe, um, where they feel that um, that once again they know who they are, they know the context of their life. Um, yeah, this is me. These are my friends. This is what I do. I I like those subjects. I don't like those other subjects. You know, there's a certain um, safety in that 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 should be. Um, uh, encouraged. Okay. Mm. And most important of all, your last one is uh, to tell your son or daughter that, that you, you love them. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing yeah. is more important. And okay. to understand that none of us in this whole world is going to have a perfect child. They're going to have their ups and downs. They're going to have their 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 faults and they're going to have um, so many attributes and you know that Irish saying Mullanoga August Chukikshid which I think from my knowledge of Gaelic would mean praise 
the young person and they will, as it were, flourish. Okay. Well, on that positive note, we'll end. Thanks for that, uh, Joe. Have a good week. Thanks. And uh, we'll chat again next week. That's uh, Joe Heffernan. He uh, runs a counselling practice in Bohabwe. He's number 0297617. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 until the night. Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon.